Hey everyone, welcome to the Forcecom Frontline. I'm Ashley and I'm your host. Today we have a special episode. General Michael Garrett, Forcecom Commanding General, is taking over the podcast and talking with a group of soldiers from Charlie Company, 1508th Parachute Infantry Regiment, 3rd BCT, 82nd Airborne Division, about their role in Army modernization, the importance of mastering the fundamentals, and what People First means to them. This unit has been at the forefront of Army modernization and were some of the first soldiers to test the Army's new integrated visual augmentation system and also recently participated in the Experimentation Demonstration Gateway Event 2021 at Dugway Proving Ground, Utah. They will also take part in Project Convergence later this year, which is a campaign of learning to aggressively pursue an artificial intelligence and machine learning-enabled battlefield management system. So today, joining General Garrett and myself for this conversation is First Lieutenant Frankie Whalen, Staff Sergeant Kentry Reynolds, Sergeant Marcos Ubieta, Sergeant Stephen Sims, and Specialist Matthew Zeisler. So let's go ahead and get started. So let's talk about let's talk about uh, you know modernization. Uh, you know what's what's interesting, and you know it's just actually the the timing's pretty good here too. Last week. I was at uh, San Antonio, or Austin, I was in Austin, Texas, visiting uh, General Mike Murray, who is the commander of Army Futures Command. And, uh, you know, one of the things that he shared with me on that day, and he always does when I see him, is just how thankful he and his command are uh, with the uh, performance of Forcecom uh, soldiers. You know, all these soldiers' touch points that you all do are really, really important. Uh, and what they do for us is they provide soldier input, uh, up front as opposed to, you know, on the back end of this thing. Um, so first of all, tell us a little bit about, you know, IVAS, uh, what does it stand for? Uh, and then we can just get your thoughts on, you know, get your thoughts on it. Okay, sir. So IVAS is the integrated visual augmentation system. And what that means, it's, it's augmented reality and a heads up display for us. So the, the actual equipment that we get and that we use when we're when we have IVAS is a the heads up display, which is the goggles that you've probably seen before that strap over our helmets. Um, that connects to a, a small computer on a puck that we put on our kit. And then that connects to a GPS radio, which is a is a networked radio so we can see everyone else with IVAS, with ATAC devices, drones, any anyone else on the network, that's that's how we connect to each other. Um, on the software side, so as far what does it do for us? Without going into the specifics of IVAS, it's it's got capabilities um, that, that kind of change the way we do small unit tactics, and, and we're learning through that with the soldier touch points. But some of the important pieces of what it does is command and control, navigation. It affects marksmanship pretty significantly. Um, night vision capabilities uh, change with IVAS, and. Um, the overall connectivity to other troops um, because we all have this device. So those are those are some those are some things that are changing and, it, and it's pretty unique uh, picture of the battlefield that we get with IVAS here. So when you said augmented reality, so how how does it augment you know the picture or what you would see with your own eyes or you know what you would see with um, you know a standard pair of night vision uh, devices. So, sir, think of uh, what you see in a normal pair of night vision device, a uh, normal night vision device, or just without that at all, and then you layer on capabilities. Um, so, for example, like it helps you with with navigation in a way that nothing else that we have does. So, you're looking at um, you're going through the woods in, in the middle of the night, and there are um, features in IVAS that tell you exactly where to go, how far you are from it, where the unit on your left and right is. Um, where the objective is in relation to your current location. All this information is in front of your face, so it's, it's very difficult to, to miss anything while you're walking. And that's available to every paratrooper. We're all on the same route. We're looking at tactical graphics as we walk. All, all this is layered in front of our, in front of our face, sir. Okay, so this is, uh, what, 2021. Uh, I commanded a battalion that's not even over there anymore. Um, third of the 325 over in second brigade, so Blue Falcons before they uh, moved them. Um, and you know, when I was battalion commander, one of the things that we did, we tested for the Army, the system called uh, Land Warrior. 
And Land Warrior was a very similar, it was a very similar system. Uh, you know, it, uh, there was a flip down optic, one eye optic. Um, uh, it was uh, a vest. Uh, and what this thing gave you was uh, exquisite situational awareness for a light infantry guy, right? Same thing. It didn't have it, the, the visual display that you have with uh, IVAS. It was certainly a lot smaller, but what it gave what it gave us was, I mean, you knew where everybody uh, in, you know, your company, battalion, just like you, who was ever in the network. Um, and that was, uh, let's see, so I commanded uh, that unit from 2000 to 2002. So that was how many years ago? 25? 20? 19-ish. 19, 19, so we were doing math. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Anyways, it's a long time ago. So, you know, so, and I have seen, seen IVAS, and, um, you know, there were the, the principles of, again, providing light infantry, uh, situational awareness, uh, and, um, you know, the ability to uh, operate in ways that we can't now uh, is one of the reasons we developed it. So, squad leaders, what, is, what does IVAS do for you? What, what, what's, the, what's the thing that you like most about it? Uh, sir, I would have to say the, the thing I do like the most about it is uh, just the connectivity of now everybody. And it provides a sense of situational awareness that we, ne we never had before. At any point in time, any one of my guys or myself could know where everybody is in terms of adjacent units, however far away they are, uh, if wherever like my other teams are or myself or the other squads, platoons, all the way down and up. Um, there's really no confusion about where friendly units are and adjacent units are or like where the objective is or really anything. It's all right there. And there's uh, just a lot of other things um, being able to communicate in silence to each other through one of the features that it, that it provides. And that sense, uh, that situational awareness is a pretty, pretty big one because there's no confusion now on, on where we need to go or uh, who it is over there that we hear. Hmm. What about you, specialist? So being able to see all the information from the higher echelon and of the lower echelon, um, it's great because a lot of lower enlisted, they may not know what's going on and now they can see it. They know what the objective is. They know where everyone's at. And that makes their job a little bit easier, especially like doing patrols out in the woods. It's sometimes kind of e easier, difficult, depending on the terrain. But with the IVAS, being able to see who's in front of me and where they're at exactly, I can walk through tons of brush and it still feels like I'm just, you know, still part of the movement and everything's perfect. Um, the only thing with that is sometimes the information can be overwhelming. Um, I'm the RTO for my platoon, so I understand the communication aspect it, and seeing everything from the top down, like I see how it all works. And for a rifleman, their job up on the line is just get in position and start getting rounds down range. So, when they get bombarded with too much information, it's almost like they're having a hard time focusing on just getting rounds or suppressing the enemy. So I see it as a great leadership item, but for the lower enlisted, I think we need to really focus on like what information gets put out to them. But it's nice because the IVAS, what information does get pushed out, it can be controlled of who it goes out to. Yeah, so you're able to filter it. Who, who's the, who can do that? Uh, I believe, I'm not sure who can do that, but I know so, at least the platoon sergeant and platoon leader can. Yeah, in, in our mission planning process, but we, and, and we, we took this thing to the field and we're learning as we went. So we, we realized, you know, after a few days, like, man, our 240 gunner really shouldn't be seeing the chat between the platoon leader and the company commander while we're like on a movement. So we, we developed TTPs as we went. And uh, one of the things we found is that we can control what these guys can see because they, they need to see probably the route they need to see depending on who they are, where their left and right friendlies are and stuff, but they're, we would develop during the mission planning process, so that'd be one of the things, all right, where does this, where does this information stop and at what point are we hindering these guys from, from returning fire or, or whatever it is we need them to do on a basic foundational level. So think about maneuvering your platoon, right, through rifle squads, uh, and then you, you know, think about, you know, uh, maneuvering, you know, your two fire teams what, is, what does this kind of situational awareness do for you? What does it allow you to do? I mean, this, and this was one of, you know, you know, as I thought about it, 
20 some odd years ago, uh, you know, the fa my favorite aspect of the previous system uh, was this. So what does it allow you to do? I would say uh, even for something as simple as like a squat attack. Now I set my base of fire, you know, they're returning fire now and go to do my, my bold flank. Uh, before, running through the woods, still kind of, you know, got to look through the woods, make sure I see where they're at. Um, and got to confirm my shifts and lifts. However, like now I can just see it all in front of my face and align everything almost yeah. perfectly yeah. Uh, and then initiate like that. And I can silently, you know, of course, like I still want to give a visual signal at all, but like that audible signal is almost, it's just silent uh, and everybody can see that yeah, and at I, the same time. And I tell you, I think, I mean, I, and, and that is a great example, right, of the benefit of this. And you know what, you got to get away from, you're certainly going to have maybe, you know, some kind of visual signal in your pocket, you know, as a backup. Uh, but if we don't have to signal at all, why would we? What else does it allow you to do? Think about the enemy. What's the biggest? Uh, so think about um, think about you know the Russians and uh, Ukraine and uh, you know what the Russians were able to do to uh, to that infantry battalion. Um, you know what it what what have we learned from that? And what does this really? Uh, and again, it's one of the favorite my favorite aspects about the the technology. It allows us to disperse. It allows you to, uh, I mean, you could take your platoon and put it on a company's front, right? Uh, if you wanted to. You could be 50 meters apart. You could start using stuff like, uh, you know, hand grenades uh, and the blast radius of a hand grenade to determine, you know, how far apart, you know, you want your folks during your movement. You know, your point about, you know, being uh, the point man, everybody's the point man now, right? And you don't have to, you don't have to necessarily walk through uh, the worst terrain, following some azimuth blindly, uh, because now you know where you are and you know where you're going, and you can take the best route, you know, for you. What else? What else does it do for us? <clears throat> well, sir, to go off what you said, I think it absolutely does provide a tactical advantage as far as uh, adjacent units and moving your pieces. Uh, if I'd like to uh, turn it around though, real quick, and just discuss how I think becoming too dependent on that technology could maybe hinder. Uh, basic infantryman skills in the future. Uh, as far as seeing adjacent units and moving your pieces, set piece, move piece, you can see it on your screen. However, technology is not always 100% or 100% reliable. So, what would happen if we are out at night and we conduct a squad attack, and for some reason my HUD goes down or my Alpha team leader's HUD should go down? Uh, while I think this technology and why I think we're moving in a very good direction with it, uh, it's very important for me to keep focusing on the basic infantryman tasks. That's just, that's just my two cents on it, sir. No, I tell you what, it's like you're reading my, uh, you know, reading the stuff that I'm I'm sending down to your corps and division and brigade commanders, right? You know, mastering the fundamentals of of what we do and that's always going to be important but you know what though this is this is an advantage yes sir uh, and and uh, you know we have to do is we got to figure out so here's the deal why isn't this why shouldn't we expect this to be as easy uh, to use and as reliable as our phones I mean do you ever worry about your phone breaking yes, dude I don't well you know and when it doesn't do something I just turn it off and somebody told us what's to turn it off every day anyways, you know, once a day to do to do something. But why shouldn't we expect our, our technology to to be as reliable? I think we do expect it, sir. Yeah. We do. It's just not quite there yet. But going back to the phone analogy, uh, when we were talking with the Microsoft uh, engineers when the last time they were down here, the way they compared it was exactly like an iPhone how the iPhone has advanced since when it first came out in yep. mid-2000s to where it's at now and how many uh, features and how just how much better it's gotten over the years. And that's what we're doing is providing feedback to make this iVAS system even better. Yeah. So that we, we expect it to be just absolutely amazing. What are some of the, what are some of the downsides? Without going into any of the specific capabilities of the system, um, I think we've touched on the advantages on situational awareness uh, in the big picture, but I think where we lose a little bit is the situational awareness of the small picture. And uh, more specifically, there are certain times of day where your ability to read ambient lighting conditions is very, very poor with the IBAS. Mm. Um, forcing you to use 
things that you wouldn't normally use if it was just the naked eye. Mm -hmm. um, so I found that to be a critical flaw at this point. Um, and with that also, just the way the system sits on your face, it does kind of limit your peripheral vision. Um, and I noticed that especially like what uh, we were talking about before, with down to the lowest level um, and maneuver, that that could be an issue. Um, but again, I, I do see the advantages though of dispersal, <coughs> uh, dispersion, and uh, just being able to track the big picture. So there, there's pros and cons to both, as well as the form factor and the weight of the system. I mean, that's something that will always be an issue with any piece of equipment. Um, but I believe at this stage of the game, it, it's it's adding more to guys who are already very over encumbered. Yeah, well, I, I think to your point earlier about, you know, uh, having a backup, I mean, you're exactly right. You know, one of my uh, <coughs> favorite Marines, um, you know, Joe Mattis, always talked about, and his thing was not just having a pace plan, you know, for your communications, you know, a primary through an emergency means of communications. His thing was to be able to fight in a post-EMP electromagnetic pulse environment, right? And, and so... You know, in some cases, you know, that environment requires signal flags, uh, you know, and, and really, you know, going back to, uh, you know, the very basic. So you make a great point about, um, I think, how we view all of our modernization efforts, especially when we're talking about uh, our networks uh, and when we're talking about, um, you know, technology that is vulnerable to... Uh, you know, cyber attacks and, you know, like this technology, I mean, you know, anything that emits uh, an electronic signature, um, you know, causes, you know, another challenge, you know, for us as well. But we'll, we'll sort our way, we'll sort our way through uh, this. Um, from, a, from a com, you know, so you're the expert communicator here. Um, I'm not, uh, that's a part of the technology that uh, I don't understand probably as well as I should. Um, you know, how many different radios, uh, how many different systems are you, does this require? So by itself right now, it has a GPS radio that's attached to it, and then we are able to connect our own radios to it as well. Um, so with the GPS, that controls all, like, the text and everything that goes through the HUD. Um, now, if we want our own comms and everything like that, we'll have to have our own radios. So it can be quite cumbersome. And obviously that comes with time, everyone will get used to it. Um, but with the newer radios that we've seen with the modernization, um, we're kind of switching out from the old to the new, and the new ones are kind of reliable. I haven't been able to get many hands on it, but from what I've seen so far, um, like Sergeant Reynolds said, like getting rid of that audible cue and being able to do worries about text and like having everyone connected to a network, that makes everything a lot easier. And who can see that is great um, but it also comes to the point where, like we're so used to the fundamentals and working with our our radios and our Peltors it's like that's how we've known things and I think that's just something we need to continue to train on yeah what, what about power the power supply is not bad um, from what the Microsoft teams have told us uh, the battery life can last let's say about a little over half a day with one battery, depending on weather conditions. Um, and obviously we always prepare for the worst, so we carry multiple batteries on us, most people do. Um, but I think the battery situation can be tweaked just a little bit, and the Microsoft Teams are tracking that. So when we go to Project Convergence, I'm excited to see if they made any changes to that. Yeah, I mean, power's always been a problem. I mean, uh, you know, 20 years ago, when we were fielding, when we were testing, you know, the system that had talked about, Land Warrior, uh, we were right on the edge. I mean, we were actually, the Army was driving, uh, you know, power technology. Um, now, it was certainly not the same as today. I mean, you have people like Elon Musk and uh, a number of other, all of the, you know, large uh, auto manufacturers today are, are um, you know, uh, developing their own power supply. And so we're going to, I think we're all going to benefit you know, from that, because that's been a challenge in the past. And even now when I go out and uh, visit training, you know, it's ama I'm amazed at, you know, how much stuff our soldiers are carrying uh, and how much of it relies on, you know, some kind of battery uh, or some kind of, you know, central power uh, source. 
Um, so we have we got more work to do on that. What do you all think about uh, you know the Army's approach to you know this particular system? Get it into the hands of soldiers. Let you break it. Let you provide feedback. Well, sir, uh, I mean, I think it is that step in the right direction. I mean, it seems like I never thought about it before, but now that I've messed with it, it seems like that next step uh, beyond like just our typical night vision or whatever. Um, but I mean, the sooner they, they get it to us, the sooner we can progress this and get it to a point where it, it needs to be exactly what it is. So. Well, do you think it'll? Do you think? I mean, uh, you know, and I'm I'm an old guy, <coughs> um, but I I you know kind of realize that. Uh, you know, at the rate of, of uh, change in technology, you know, we may get to a point where this thing, just like our phones, uh, you know, is going to be updated, you know, uh, often. Um, and, you know, we don't have to do anything but push a button maybe and, uh, or start it up or shut it down. You know, it'll, it'll be interesting. I think all of our equipment, especially uh, software, uh, you know, defined systems, are going to be systems that they're going to change all the time. The the form factor, or you know the you know whatever you know the the lens or the mask or the glass or whatever that is, that may change. Um, uh, but the software, I think, and and that's where we're going with most of the systems that we're using uh, anymore. Any other thoughts on uh, what what else? Have you guys got to do anything else other than IVAS? We've, we've been uh, we've, we've been focused on IVAS here. There's a uh, one platoon in our company, my, myself and Specialist Eisler being a part of that platoon. We we went out to uh, Utah in May to uh, test IVAS as a component of a larger network with a lot of like drones and yeah. and future vertical lift type yeah. modernization things involved. And uh, that that was pretty neat to see a, a side of the army that that we don't really see. And um, it was um, like you were just talking about. Pretty pretty neat how they both for IVAS back here and then going out to Utah that the engineers come to us, Microsoft comes to us, and then they get after every single event, every every time we, we step off for mission and come back with AARs and engineers asking for our feedback so that they can go take it in the back, fix it, and then bring it back the next day. And this is what we did with it. How do you guys like it now? So that's that's been pretty awesome, sir. Yeah, it is pretty neat, and it is a uh, <coughs> it's a different approach to to uh, to modernizing. You know what our problem is though in the army? There's there's so many of us, right? I mean, this stuff is not inexpensive, and I want to say there's like 1.1 million soldiers, 485,000 in the active component, and then you know the rest in the guard and the reserves, uh, and uh, you know the army kind of thinking through their modernization strategy and fielding, like who's going to get what and how much of it do you buy. You know, that's another thing that, uh, you know, is, is uh, something that, you know, my bosses, you know, think a lot about. You know, how much of this stuff, you know, can we afford? Uh, who do we buy it for? What's the basis of issue? Um, because we have other, how many different radios do you have in your, uh, you know, your combo cage? Off the top of my head, I can count at least six different types. Yeah, how many do you normally take to the to the field? How many do you personally? How many are you responsible for? So we're still taking ACIBs, right? Yeah, we're still using ACIBs. Still using ACIBs. ACIBs. Right? That hasn't changed. <laughs> um, overall, I'd take about three different types depending on squad leader and team leader positions. Yeah. What am I missing? Um, so I was going to ask about readiness. How does the modernization effort really contribute to overall Army readiness? Um, yeah, so the modernization contributing to readiness. So I, I think the, the the process of modernization, like we were just talking about, bringing, bringing engineers to the end users and then getting feedback and, and improving devices and then bringing them back for, for more improvement is uh, that's that's really like taking care of people and, and it sounds kind of corny, but taking care of people takes care of the mission. So that's that's going to that's going to improve our readiness down the road. We're, we're all here. You know, putting IVAS on is frustrating right now because it's it's an early model and it's it's not the easiest thing to fight in. Um, but um, we're all doing this with the understanding that five to ten years down the road, it's, it's going to be a game changer for uh, squads and platoons like we're in right now. So I, I think uh, in the long run, it's 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 huge for readiness. Sir. It's not going to well, it ain't going to be five or ten years either. <laughs> it's going to be you know the whole purpose of what we're doing now is to you know. Um, 
build or design, uh, validate, uh, you know, break. Uh, but to do all of that, you know, a lot quicker than <clears throat> our normal uh, acquisition or development and acquisition cycles. So we're going to do it a lot faster. Um, and, um, uh, you know, here's the thing with modernization, though, and this is something that this is kind of where I am on it. And, and I have to, you know, I am responsible. That's that's my number one job as the force comp commander is Army readiness. And when I say readiness, I'm talking about real readiness. And real readiness is, you know, soldiers who are masters with their weapons, right? Because if a guy can't shoot, if an infantryman, you got somebody in your squad that can't shoot, uh, then... I will say I'm fortunately blessed with some... Well, guys. what I'm saying, though, is, you know, if it can't, then... You know, the purpose of maneuvering a squad is useless, right? Uh, and that's the point of contact. My point is we, we have to be good. Uh, we have to be better and good. We've got to be excellent, you know, at the individual and small unit level because that's where, you know, that's where the fighting's going to happen. But we also have to invest in our future, and that's what you all are doing. And so you're really doing a little bit of both, right? You're, you are balancing, uh, you know, future readiness, which is, you know, that's that's one way to look at our modernization efforts it's our future uh readiness that you all are are building you know as you move along but what we all have to do and you know you said it right we got to be able to do this uh you know with no nods uh in the harshest conditions um and then we have to be able to do it with you know the the new technology so I was just going to go off of what you said, Lieutenant Whalen. I'm curious, as an outsider who has not seen the equipment, can you, like, all I'm picturing is, like, you know, you go to an uh, arcade and you have the 3D thing and you put it on. Like, what's it, what does it look like? What does it entail? Yeah, so the, the hardware portion, so the, the equipment that we actually carry is the, um, the when they say HUD, it's a heads-up display. So that's what we refer to the, the goggle. Everything that goes on your head, it's, it's goggles with three straps and it straps over your helmet. Is it like big? It's pretty boy. It, okay. it comes off your face a few inches because okay. um, it's got sensors on top of the goggles and those sensors are, they're, they're used for a lot of things. Um, simulated training environments, that's what helps their night vision, cameras, all kinds of stuff on there. So um, there's a lot built into just, just that thing that goes on our head and it looks like, like ski goggles really. Okay. Um, yeah, and then uh, that's a lot of cables involved but the three main components are that, a computer puck Wow. With, that's the buttonology and everything that we're controlling the heads-up display with, and then that the routes to a uh, a data radio that Specialist Lifeser was talking about. It's it's an additional radio that we carry to connect IVAS to IVAS and IVAS to any other device on the network. All right, I just got HUD in my new car, and it's amazing. So I'm <laughs> I have it in my car too. I love it. <laughs> I do too. My wife thinks it's a waste of money, but oh. yeah. My son likes to be able to see how fast I'm going from the back seat and tells me if I'm going too fast or too slow. So. <laughs> So, anything else on modernization, sir? No, I think, like I said, uh, you know, what you guys are doing are helping us uh, figure out what works. We're giving feedback directly to Microsoft, and, you know, we're, we're going to end up with a better product uh, faster. Um, and then, you know, I really, so, you know, I want you to continue to remind folks that uh, although this, this stuff that we're doing is, uh, it's certainly... <clears throat> a requirement for all of us because we gotta we gotta continue to modernize our army uh, but you know being excellent at the basics and being able to do this stuff with without those things is, is important uh, as well so don't don't forget that all right so let's go into uh, let's start with foundational training days and I know you guys call it all American days um, we're gonna leave this question open to anybody who wants to answer but um, how do you think that this time that is taken away from training uh, helps build trust and gets to know one another, helps you guys get to know one another? Uh, well, I mean, I think it's great. Uh, we have an entire day that is solely dedicated to like learning and understanding my soldiers on a more personal level that I don't always get uh, to do. So now is like this day, and uh, of course, you know, when I get the chance, I, I do it. But this is, is solely for that. I get to like kind of take a step back. You know, take the rank off and like just see how they are in their personal life because that always like their personal life is kind of like uh, I guess in a sense the foundation of how they are at work and if they're not squared away personally they're not going to perform how they need to uh, when it comes time to, to do the job so I think it's I think it's pretty great how many of you you know so when this first came out uh, what was your 
I mean, what did you think when, you know, whoever told you, company commander, battalion commander, uh, okay, Lieutenant Whalen, you know, uh, the higher-ups have now dictated that we give up one day a month to focus on this is my squad kind of stuff. Yeah, so the, the first reaction, sir, is always, man, you're putting another thing on my plate, and uh, I, I, do, I don't have enough time as it is. But then um, the more we've done these, uh, the more we've gotten used to the importance of uh, this, this isn't taking a day away. It's protecting time to focus on things that matter in terms of readiness in a way that we don't normally think about it, like readiness in terms of uh, counseling, adult to adult, uh, how, how are you? How is your family? Um, these like we'll put out priorities every month. Um, today, for example, hazing and bullying is the focus. So we're going to counsel with, with that in mind. That's something we'll bring up, something we'll talk about. Um, and uh, it's it's important to have that protected time. We, we are better off for it when that day is designated to focus on that, sir. Anybody, you know why we, you know why we were, you know why we're doing this? You know why we did this? Uh, sir, honestly, I think it's because it's a step towards making people the priority, um, and it, I, I think this time really allows us to do that. Let me ask you this. Do you guys think, so the, the Army's priorities are people, readiness, and modernization. Those are the Army's priorities. Those are my priorities. Those are not my priorities. Our priorities is Forces Command. Um, what do you guys think about that? What do you think? So think about, you know, close your eyes for a second. Close your eyes, all right? Think about what you did this past week. Now open your eyes and tell me what you think your priority was based on what, where you spent your time this week. I'd, I'd say, sir, from, from my perspective, my platoon's priority was prep for next week. So we're, we're going into IVAS squad live fire. So we've been, we've been dedicated to, to making sure we're, we're administratively, tactically prepared to, to do that. Sir. Okay. All right. What about you? Uh, very similar boat, sir. A uh, lot, lot of stuff. It, and it's always like that. It's always very uh, high strung, very fast paced, uh, tasks constantly coming down. You gotta take care of this, take care of that. We got this coming up. Um, and again, circling back, like that, that's why it's important to have that protected time because um, if not, you get so caught up in that, that it, it's hard to communicate the bigger picture to my, like my paratroopers um, and also learn, get more from them as far as like what's going on with them personally, um, stuff like that. Who sets your priorities? Who sets your priorities? Uh, I mean, everything's a priority, sir. You know, everything that comes down is like the, the number one priority. So I guess um, at my level, I get to de decipher, I guess, what the priorities are. But of course, at each level, they get to decipher what, what they feel the priorities are there. Yeah, you're a smart guy because, you know, one of the things that I say <coughs> is that. Uh, uh, at the end of the day, a company commander, first sergeant, are determining what the army's going to do. Because you know all the—I mean, that's where the people are, right? All the people, all the soldiers are in our company battery troops, and then inside of our platoons and squads. And and just like you said, you know, uh, when when if everything's a priority, then what? Nothing's a priority, right? Uh, and then the other thing is, if if they just give it all to you. Uh, you get to determine, you know, what gets done that day. But the, but the fact of the matter is, one of the reasons why, you know, we chose this approach, this foundational uh, readiness day approach, uh, was just that. Because uh, uh, I know, you know, I know as a force comm commander, I know that by the time stuff gets to you, it is more than uh, you are resourced to do. And you're making decisions, uh, you know, for me basically right um, and so on this foundational readiness day and this is this was just one of the things that came out of uh, one of many things that came out of um, you know our investigations into the death of special ski in there at Fort Hood um, you know there have been three major investigations uh, there and and we've learned a lot the army has taken this on in a big way there's a people first task force you know that consists of uh, certainly leadership at the army level uh, but also, uh, you know, there's participation from folks all across the Army, you know, that participate in this. And there's about 70 things that we're trying to fix. Um, but the one thing that, uh, you know, that I know based on the 39 years of, I mean, my 39th year of service, right? Uh, and the one thing that I do know is that we don't know our soldiers as well as we should. 
you know, we don't know them uh, as well today uh, as I think. Uh, and again, this may just be Garrett's, you know, observation, and you guys can, uh, you know, make the point or not that you know I'm old and out of touch. Uh, but you know, uh, knowing uh, our soldiers and knowing the folks inside of your formation is really, really important. You know, when I was a battalion commander here in the 82nd, I remember the brigade commander, this guy by the name of Scaparotti. Uh, you know, I'm getting ready to change out battalion command. And he goes, Mike, he goes, you know, when you command your brigade, you're not going to be able to do it like this, you know, the way you're commanding your battalion. I said, what do you mean, sir? He goes, you know, every one of your paratroopers. And I said to myself, hmm, or I thought to myself, hmm, he thinks I know every one of my paratroopers. But you know what? So did they, right? So did they, because I made an effort to, to get to know as many of them as I could. And I bet you if you go find some Blue Falcons, you know, uh, every one of them, you know, will have a, you know, Lieutenant Colonel Garrett story. Uh, so the whole point of this Foundational Readiness Day is really uh, an opportunity for us to get to know the people in our formation in a way that, you know, we, we wouldn't otherwise. Uh, and I'll tell you what, like, you know, and I don't know about you, how old are you? Uh, 26, sir. 26. Are you married? You see any kids? Uh, no, no kids. What about you? I'm uh, 28, sir. Uh, okay, you're old. <laughs> Jeez, you're, you're almost as old as me. No, I'm just kidding. Any kids? Uh, no, sir. M married? Yes. Okay, what about you? Uh, I'm 27, sir. You're, uh, you're old, too. No, I'm just kidding. I have a three-month-old at home. Okay, oh, good. Wow. What about you? I'm 27, sir. Kids? No, sir. Wife? No. Not yet? What about you? 24, sir. Married? Yes, sir. Are you? I am, sir. How long have you been married? Year, sir. Nice. No kids yet, though, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, good. Take your time. <laughs> yeah, take your time. Um, so what, let me ask you this, though. Do you feel um, – so think about – I mean, think about this last year. I mean, what a, what a, what a year. I would have said something else, but I would just – this microphone reminded me of – got to be careful what – not careful what I say, but, <laughs> but what a year, right? I mean, think about what we've, what we've asked you all to do for the last 18 months. So what kind of things have you learned about yourself and, you know, what have you learned about, I mean, when you think about, hey, do I really know my soldiers, what was the answer to that? Uh, I think I'm pretty well uh, at knowing my guys, sir. I, did you know them before? I've, I've always kind of, like, valued my guys in that sense. Uh, I've always kind of looked at, like, uh, there's two levels of respect when it comes to the Army, the, the natural level that, that this brings, that, of course, they have to respect with that personal level as well uh, is – directly responsible for their work ethic uh, when I, you know, task them with something or I expect or I want them to do uh, something. Uh, if, I, if I don't have that personal level and I don't really get that until I, I earn it from them, for one, uh, and then earn their trust, like they're not going to give me that 100%. They'll probably cap out about 70, 75 if I, if I don't take the time to, to earn their respect and trust. What do they, what do they, uh, what do they want out of you? What do you think they want you just uh, treat them like human beings, sir. Um, right? Like, subordinate doesn't mean subhuman. Uh, I think a lot of NCOs forget that, that at the end of the day, this guy goes home and takes his uniform off just like just like I do, uh, and he has a life outside of that. Um, I think guys guys do forget that. They, they get blinded a little bit by the, the position and treat guys in a way they really don't need to be treated, uh, and I think they can perform a lot better if they kind of snap out of that. Hmm. What do you think your folks want? What, what, you know, what, what are they looking for you to do for them? Sir, so honestly, I think my paratroopers, they want me to care. Um, and, and I do, of course. Um, about their thoughts, you know, their goals, their aspirations, um, things that are going on in their personal life. Because, of course, th that's most important to them. You know? And like Sergeant Reynolds said, it, it's very easy as an NCO with a bunch of tasks to be like, well, this has got to get done, this has got to get done. But asking that of somebody who isn't in the right headspace could just make the problem worse. So I, I think it's very important to take that step back and uh, like actually know, and uh, like Sir Reynolds said, like, at the end of the day, everyone just wants to be treated like a human. Um, and I think that's very important with your subordinates. What else is important, though, to our soldiers, especially our new ones? What else do you think they want? From their leaders, so they want to be treated like they want. They want to know that their leaders care. I, I agree. What else do they want? Uh, yes, sir. Absolutely, they want to know that we care, but also they want to know that we can keep them alive in combat. Yeah. So, 
I mean, I, I definitely try to be empathetic with my soldiers, talk to them one-on-one, -on -one, get to know them personally. And that's why these All-American Days are great. Uh, also during PT hours, I take the time to not only improve our physical readiness, but take the time to talk to my soldiers. For example, we just had July 4th. So we went back to PT on Tuesday. Uh, say, talk to them. How was your July 4th? Where'd you go? Like, tell me what you did. Just little things like that. I think that they know that you care. But then also when it's time to get down to business, time to train, they know you're gonna be professional. They, uh, you treat them with respect and they're gonna follow you into combat. Well, here's the other thing, and, and, and again, you're, you are exactly right, because, uh, you know, there's a, there's a line, and I don't know how fine that line is, you know, and this is one of those things that all leaders kind of work through, right? Because nobody wants to be hated, uh, and you certainly, you know, want to have a uh, relationship with the soldiers that you lead, but I think one of the most important things is, you know, standards, right? Our soldiers should look at their leaders uh, and never guess uh, at what the standards are. Uh, and, you know, and I'm, you know, like look at all of you, right? Uh, you guys could be on recruiting posters. And that's normally what happens when people come see me. They don't normally send duds to do podcasts or lunch. <laughs> I've asked a couple times, I said, hey, send me some duds so I can just see if we have any. Because uh, all I get to hang out is, you know, is with the best people we have. But, but seriously, I want you all, you know, as you think about this leadership thing, I mean, it is. There's only one way to do it, right? And it is, in, in Garrett's opinion, uh, especially in the business that we're in, right? Uh, this, is, this is the, you know, the readiness, um, you know, that, uh, that deters uh, our adversaries is the readiness that we have in the 82nd Airborne Division and the immediate response uh, force and battalion, right? Uh, just like last, you know, whenever, I think it's now, it's probably 18 months ago when we deployed, uh, you know, the uh, immediate response battalion and brigade uh, into Iraq. That's real readiness. We got to, you can't just, you can't do that without practice and without a lot of effort. Uh, but that's what, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that, so when you think about readiness, that's what, that's what I think about. Um, Talk, talk to me about, so this, what, what have you learned from your soldiers? Now, one of the things that, uh, and it really crushes me, right? I mean, I get all these reports every day uh, of, of uh, and I get, you know, the active component, uh, the reserves, and the guard. So all the suicides, um, you know, all of the, all of the other things that happen. And, uh, and I just, it just, I, I just don't understand. Uh, and, you know, what we're hoping is that, you know, this relationship that you have with your soldiers, you know, spending a little bit more time with them, you know, will allow you uh, to maybe identify problems before they become insurmountable to that soldier. Do you think, do you think that is, is, is that going to happen as a result of, of what we're doing? I believe, I believe so, sir. I mean, um my guys know, like, you know, when it's time to turn it on, it's time to turn it on. And then I think also now that we're, like, focusing a lot more uh, on uh, knowing them as people, uh, it will be a lot easier to identify anything that's off a little bit, right? Like, this guy who's normally, like, probably the, you know, the, the goofy one of the squad or whatever, he's being real quiet, and that's typically not normal. Uh, and I've spent enough time interacting and knowing him that I have identified that because one of the th – uh, the, largest issues in the military is like this monstrous uh, sense of like self pride to where they nobody can ever just bear themselves and ask for help when they need to. And I think that's something that I for now after my seven and a half years, that I finally kind of feel the effects that we're getting away from and making it known like it's okay to ask for help. And now when you say help, you're talking about behavioral health, or you're just talking about help in anything, general, sir. anything, no, just, just taking money, the first yeah, uh, to, to find it at least is, is huge in itself. A lot of guys don't even do that. What do you think? I absolutely agree with Sergeant Reynolds. Um, without stepping on anyone's toes here, it's sometimes hard for those in the lower enlisted to go and approach someone of a higher rank and saying, I have a problem. And it's not because, like, you know, they're afraid to. It's, you know, it's their leadership. Sometimes, you know, they have to be a, not only a role model, but they have to be a leader. And I think it's more important for their battle buddies. So I live in the barracks and I've seen it multiple times people have done it to me. They've come up to me and they're like, 
hey man, like nothing's wrong with me, but like I just got a lot of stuff on my chest. Can I get it off? And at no point will I ever turn anyone down. And that's fine. I can take 10, 15 minutes out of my day and talk to someone. I will never turn them away. But at the same time, it's like, it's so hard to address it because just because we don't address it doesn't mean it's not an issue. And we need to constantly keep working on mental health so that we can give 100% when we go to work and that we can trust each other when we're out on the field, you know, doing live iterations. You know, last thing I want is someone to make a mistake or, you know, someone to make a wrong decision saying, you know, I just had a moment of weakness and, you know, it could be stopped before it ever becomes a problem. Yes, sir. And, and going off what he's talking about, from, from my perspective, it's, it's, it's like one of the more difficult things I, I have to do. Um, and and it's, it's something that these things like these days make me better at. But I'm a 24-year-old, and I've got an RTO who's older than me. He's got more life experience than me. And i I got to go up to guys like him every day and ask another grown man, how are you doing, like, financially? How, how are you doing in this area? You know, just to use a couple examples, um, where's your head at? Um, and that's that's not easy. That's not an easy thing to do. Um, but our platoon and company, and and I think uh, the the direction that the army's moving is is it's okay to talk about those things, and that's what we need to be good at as leaders. That's that's what we need to focus on. Um, so so I found just myself just on on these days growing each time, um, and. Uh, it, it matters most, I think, at the squad and platoon level, like the the con- those conversations. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I tell you what, and and so you know, we spent an hour together, so that means you guys can, you can't call me Mike, uh, you know, but you can email me. Uh, and here, here's what I, I tell you: there are a lot of things that uh, you know I wish I knew. I mean, I really wish I knew what causes young men and women to kill themselves. More men, but what? Co- I mean, I'm just you know. Um, how bad can a relationship be? You know, how bad can a problem be where, you know, the solution is to end your life? I, I just don't understand. And it's something that I really, really work hard uh, to try and understand, but I'm just not getting there. Um, you know, we are working very, very hard in the Army, but I tell you, it is a challenge. And it just, it breaks my heart, you know, every day uh, because that's about how often it happens, it seems. Um, and uh, it's just... Uh, you know, we got to be able to do more than just say a prayer, right, uh, and call somebody at the end of this. And this is something that we all have to figure out. Uh, you know, how do we, how do we, how do we, how do we, uh, you know, make a difference uh, here? Um, yeah, we are, we are running out of time, and I want to take you guys down to the office. I'll show you my office real quick. We'll get us a picture, and then uh, I'll let you guys get out of here for the weekend. But I do want you to, if you have any thoughts on, especially the suicide piece, if you think that, hey, here's, here's something that, you know, uh, the people that I work with or my sense of just, you know, the Army leadership, and you can use General Garrett, you know, these are some of the things maybe that you're not seeing or you're missing um, because it is a problem. Um, well, look, I have really enjoyed this. And the last question for all of you is, you know, so um, who had to Google the Forcecom commander to figure out what I did? Did you guys all know? Do you do you know now? Do you have any? Who has any idea what I do? What I'm responsible for? I'm gonna be honest. I have no idea, sir. All right, good. I like. See, I like that. Yeah. So I am uh, as a force com forces command is responsible for uh, manned, equipped, trained forces in support of combatant command requirements for the for the army. Uh, and a big chunk of the operational army uh, falls under forces command. Uh, and then all of the Army Reserve uh, falls under Forces Command for training, readiness, oversight, uh, for mobilization and uh, deployment. Uh, and then all of the Guard when they're mobilized, so whenever the Guard's mobilized. So every day it's about readiness, right? And that is, that's my job. Uh, and so I think, you know, there, there, there is, uh, you know, most days, one of the things that I think about is how do I balance, how do we balance as an Army effectively you know, our priorities of people, taking care of our people, uh, being ready to do what the Army uh, exists for. And we only exist for one reason. We exist to fight and win our nation's wars, right? So take care of our people, uh, be ready, uh, and then uh, stay on track with our modernization efforts. 
I mean, think about it, guys. I'm in my 39th year of service uh, as a Mac Infantry Platoon leader in 1985. So 84, I came in the Army, 85 at Fort Stewart, Georgia. We started to field the Bradley and the uh, M1 Abrams, and it's the same tank today. The same hole. You got different technology in there, but it's basically, you know, the same same stuff, right? Uh, and so we have to modernize our army, uh, and and we're going to have to, you know, we're going to have to, uh, uh, you know, I think walk a very very fine line here over the next uh, five to ten years to ensure that you know we keep our people with us. You know, the all volunteer force doesn't happen by accident, and you don't keep it by accident. We have to work at that. Uh, so we got to take care of our people, but we gotta we gotta stay ready. And you know, and you, I, I like the way that you said it earlier. Um, we can't forget that. All right. So if you were the force comm commander, right? What would you change? What would you do? What order would you issue tomorrow? Start with the. We'll we'll, we'll put the platoon leader on the spot first. Okay, sir. Uh, I don't want to be. Too vague, but I mean, in the uh, in the fight to balance all these different priorities, um, it's one thing we we always have to come back to is uh, continue to find ways to protect paratroopers' time. Um, it's uh, I don't think that can ever be understated. And uh, things like you know, the 82nd, we have All American Family Time on Fridays. Uh, getting what time does that start? Fourteen thirty. Let's not worry about that, sir. <laughs> 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 But uh, things like that, uh, getting guys to uh, out of work to take their kids to school on the first day of school, um, adopting like the 80 seconds going to uh, operational readiness cycle to uh, give guys predictability about about the time they're going to be spending at work. Th things like that is is uh, extremely important, and, and that I don't, that would be my thing for the day, sir. I All guess. right, I like that. What about you, sir? So I, I couldn't agree with Lieutenant Whalen more. On his piece, but uh, touch on something else. We'll circle back to modernization. Um, it seems to, and obviously I have a very narrow perspective on these things, being in my position, and I'm sure there's a lot of things I'm not privy to. Um, but in terms of the infantry and modernization, uh, I would look at what are some commercial solutions to problems we've been having with equipment, um, as far as you know, say lightweight body armor or something like that. Uh, the war on terror has lasted 20 years, and private industry has come up with a lot of solutions for problems that we're having. Um, and these are things that you know we could, we could have in our hands tomorrow. Um, that I think would you know after reading uh, winning at the point of contact, that would allow my squad to maneuver faster, see better at night, um, get less tired, have to carry uh, less a lighter load overall. Um, those are things that I think could give us an edge in combat and could happen very quickly without a, a drawn out uh, development acquisition cycle. And again, the only thing I would tell you is, and I absolutely agree, and you know, our goal is to provide the absolute best equipment, you know, to our soldiers that, uh, that we can. Uh, but remember, there's 1.1 million of them, <laughs> right? And, and therein lies our challenge. I mean, if you go look at, uh, so, you know, where Lieutenant Whalen's going, right? He's gonna go to the Ranger Regiment. Uh, smaller scale, um, you know, they're able to do uh, a lot of kind of what you just described. A little bit harder, though, when you start now talking about, you know, a few thousand to hundreds of thousands. Um, and that's that's the challenge that we have. But good one. What about you? Uh, well, to start, sir, I'd probably put a Skyline Chili on Fort Bragg. There we go. <laughs> uh, you don't have to. I'll make it for you. <laughs> I will make it for you. Uh, to go in a, a little bit of a different direction, though, than uh, Lieutenant Whalen and start in Ubieta, with sticking with the food, though, uh, personally, I would put a 24-hour defac on this post. That that's just me speaking. Being on staff duty a few times, it gets to one or two o'clock in the morning, and I can't leave post. That is my job to be there. I am the representative at the desk for my battalion, but I'm still hungry. So uh, is anything is anything open 24 hours? Not that I can think of, sir. At least not on not, post. Not on post. Not on post. That that's yeah. just me. Let me ask you this: Who goes to the mess hall? Dining facility, excuse me. All right, you do. Occasionally. Occasionally. <laughs> do uh, think about folks that live in the barracks with you. Do most people eat in the dining facilities? No. Yeah. Actually not. Yeah. Why not? Well, you know what? Don't tell me that now. That's a whole different. That's another podcast. <laughs> okay. We can talk about quality food. All right. <laughs>
Um, so along the lines with mental health and also like future conflict and readiness, uh, a lot of things that I see is as an infantryman, we perfect our craft on the range and we're excellent when it comes to the M4, but there's also weapon systems that we haven't used, that we have, that we've never shot before. Uh, like the AT4, the Carl Gustav, uh, Mark 19, 320s. Um, a lot of these infantrymen and women, like we haven't been able to use live rounds. And I remember the first time I shot out of the Carl Gustav, I was nervous, I was not ready for it. It's a recordless rifle, but still like, I was able to have that experience that I know a lot of people haven't. Mm. So I would like to see, and I know funds and financial allocation is always an issue, um, a way to get some of these soldiers hands on so they know what it's like. So in a combat situation, if something happens to this person, like my AT goes down, they're gonna be able to pick it up and they know exactly what it's like to fire it. You know, that's a good point. And we used to be, uh, we used to be pretty good at cross training uh, folks uh, and it, you know, goes back to time. Uh, but that is great, okay? And we certainly have the resources to do that. Uh, for me, sir, um, I think a big one is uh, constantly in like maximizing our improvement of single soldiers living conditions. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, these guys go to work and then they go home to the place that they're told to live. Uh, and when it's not like the best, you know, that can, that can uh, in itself take a toll on a soldier. Uh, I know I, I personally didn't enjoy living in the barracks, you know, and it's always, I know it's always getting better. There are a lot of great barracks on uh, Fort Bragg. Unfortunately, uh, one Fury doesn't live in one of them, but, but it, it just seems like, um, especially when it comes to uh, like kind of like DPW in a lot of sense, uh, really rough to get things kind of squared away. I know, uh, I, I can't remember exactly the time, but it wasn't entirely too long ago where one of uh, the soldiers in my platoon was told they couldn't fix his door because he was on the third floor and it was a low threat room. And I was like, that just doesn't, doesn't make sense to me. Like people can get into his room, but it's low threat because it's on the third floor. However, all of his belongings into his home, which is what the barracks room is for him, uh, isn't important enough to the people who are supposed to fix it. Yeah. So, um, so no, you're, you're exactly right. And you know, this is one of those things that, uh, <clears throat> you know, we're still struggling with as an army, right? So when I was battalion commander, uh, we owned the barracks. When I say we owned them, company commanders were signed for them. Uh, we had uh, repair and uh, was it utilities? We called them R&U. We had an R&U NCO. I think it stands for repairs and utilities. But but you know when something like that happened, it, we didn't call the you know you didn't call the post engineers or you know. Uh, Department of Public Works, you called, you know, Sergeant Garrett came up there with his toolbox uh, that he was signed for from the company, uh, and he could do small, or she could do small repairs. Um, and that's really what we have to get back to. Here, here, you know, and there are people, there are, you know, there, and I'm talking about, you know, senior leaders. I mean, me and, you know, friends of mine, uh, as we talk about our Army, you know, we can't help sometimes but uh, to reflect on our experiences. But, you know, our experiences in the barracks were a lot different than today's experience in the barracks, right? Uh, you know, when I was when I was platoon leader, I was inspecting barracks. Uh, you know, if we weren't out in the field, uh, you know, once a week I was walking through rooms. Uh, and you had to have socks rolled up, underwear folded a certain way, uh, inside of your, your uh, wardrobe or closet. You know, things had to be hung a certain way, shoes had to be, um, and, and the room, you know, bed had to be made up and not a whole bunch of stuff, you know, around. Uh, and we, we went through this, this cycle of, of uh, you know, allowing soldiers a little bit more uh, autonomy, uh, allowing them a little bit more privacy. Uh, and I'm not sure, I'm not sure if that's all been good, to be honest with you. Sword, sir, for sure. Yeah. It's definitely a double-edged sword. Yeah. But I don't disagree with you. They absolutely deserve the best that we can give them. Uh, and, you know, our responsibility, though, is take care of it, you know. Um, and, and uh, you know, one of the things that I try and do uh, every day, I, you know, when I say my prayers, I pray not to be a hypocrite because, you know, the, you know, the farther I, I'm away from you all, the easier it is for me to, you know, to put something in an order 
um, but not be able to do it um, or not to have a good sense for the impact of it. Um, and so this is, this is helpful for me. This is, this has really been helpful. And, uh, you know, I tell you, I never, like I said, and I'm serious, you know, I get to, this is one of my favorite things hanging out with, with you all, because I said, I don't get to do it as often as I would like. PT would have been fun this morning too. That's probably why they picked you all too. Uh, <laughs> um, but, um, you know, thanks. Appreciate, uh, appreciate the, the, the feedback. Well, right. thank you, sir. Thank yeah. you for doing this. Yeah. Thank you yeah. for taking the time, and thank you all for taking the time as well. All right. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having us. Thanks for tuning in. Join us again on August 26th as we celebrate Women's Equality Day with a special episode and conversation with specialist Maura Spence, who was recently crowned Miss Colorado. In the meantime, you can keep up with all things Forcecom on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on The Frontline.